Hello and welcome to The Swim Brief. We have a guest. I mean, you know, usually we have a guest, um, but usually it's Joel. Not all the time do I bring somebody on an interview, but we're actually trying something very different today. Um, we got an athlete interview and it's an athlete from Queens University, Jan Delkeskamp. Uh, Jan, how are you? Good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. I'm really excited to do this. Um, and so here's, there's, there's a couple things I want to accomplish in this podcast for me, always like, I love hearing people's story. And I think the people who listen to it, like love to hear stories too. So I want to get you talking about yourself, telling a few stories, um, off the front end, just so people have a sense of who you are. And then we're going to do something that, um, I do, uh, fairly often in a professional context, which is sort of like a, a, a long time, not a long time, or sometime after I have done some work at a place, I always want to have some way to follow up and sort of hear like what the experience was on the other end, what kinds of things uh, have stuck with people and all that stuff. And um, uh, your coach, Chef Dugdale, thought you'd be the perfect person to do that with. And it's been I guess a couple of weeks since I've been at Queens. So um, we're going to get to that, but first um, let people, let people in uh, to find out a little bit uh, about you. So just like give, give people, I guess the story of you and uh, the sport of swimming and how you ended up at Queens. Wow, I'm trying to make a uh, long story short, I guess for the sake of- No, you don't have time. to make it short. We have time. <laughs> But, uh, well, to be honest, starting swimming was um, given for me. It was, so to speak, chosen by my parents because they said until every one of, I have two siblings, I'm very fortunate to have a younger sister, Pia, and a two-year-younger brother as well, Malta. And so all three of us, we love going to uh, the beach or the lake for vacation. We've always had this like natural gravitation to water. But at the same time, um, my parents were saying, until you guys can swim, we're not going to go on any vacation where you guys just can like go by yourself to the lake or to the beach, because we've always had a tendency also towards independence. And um, let's put it that way. We have always been adventurous, especially when we were on the beach. So all of a sudden, like 10 minutes later, we were gone on the other side of the beach or so. And um, so my parents said, well, the deal is you guys can do what you want and we're going to enjoy some more beach vacations if you guys can swim. So that's how we ultimately started. And after we then had the first level of elementary swimming, I would call it, you, you get like a small little golden dolphin. Once you're like capable of swimming in Germany, at least at our home club, our parents were saying, whatever you guys choose, like you don't have to swim anymore. Feel free to do whatever you want in your free time. Yeah. And so my initial reaction was like, shoot. Now I was like supposed to start swimming, but actually I quite enjoy it. So I told my parents I would like to continue swimming. My, my siblings the same. And at some point, especially when you like practice more and more, you increase it from two to three times to four times a week. And if you at some point end up at six points, six times a week, I was playing tennis back in the day. At the same time, your tennis schedule starts conflicting with swimming. So my choice was to keep swimming. I stopped playing tennis and over time, yeah, the And sorry, I want to interrupt to ask this question. How how old were you when you were play, you know, still playing two sports 
kind of seriously? Like what, what point did you make that shift? Uh, it was until 2000, 2010. So I was 11. And okay. um, at the age of 11, I decided to then say, okay, swimming is uh, my goal. That's what I want to do professionally. That's what I like thrive the most for. That's what I enjoy the most. And where I have the most people that I can rely on, that I very much appreciate being around. Yeah. And so my two siblings, I think at some point, yeah, we, we seem to be genetically connected to each other. They decide to go the same. And so we switched clubs from Wermelskirchen, which is our hometown, small 30,000 um, people live there, a smaller city in Western Germany. And then we decided to go to Wuppertal, which is with 350,000, like 10 times the size. And they had a federal swimming club there. So they were actually an official club who allowed young professional swimmers with the aspirations of going to national team to pursue their athletic goals and also allow them to go to uh, high school there. So pretty early, I decided then to go that route. But I never thought I would ever go abroad, to be honest. English was one of my subjects that I least enjoyed, probably, so to speak, in school. And so what I did was I had everything laid out. I'm always very passionate. I've always been very passionate about civil aviation. I thought I would start working at an airport, study at the same time, keep swimming in Wuppertal. Everything was laid out perfectly until in January 2018, before I came to Queens, the program manager emailed me, well, Jan, like, congratulations, we would love to have you, but we're going to discontinue the program. And my initial reaction was like, Shh, wait, so that means my plan A, so to speak, the dream that I had for the rest of my life, just got eradicated. So what's plan B? And I've been so zoomed in on plan A that I was like, oh, it will work out. Where there's a will, there's a way. But yeah, so German short course nationals came around. They were pretty successful, luckily, not only lots of fun, but also fast swimming in my events. I'm a brushstroke and individual medley swimmer. And so someone from an organization reached out to me, was like, hey, have you ever thought about studying in the US? And I was like, to be honest, I have not. I haven't considered even going abroad yet. And so mm -hmm. I talked to my swim coach and I knew I was past the recruiting deadlines pretty quickly. So usually people don't start considering going to the state six months before they actually go, especially with the visa processes and everything. So what I yep. did is I reached out to my coach and he was saying, hey, I actually have a friend who back in the day did a volunteer assistant coaching, I think at Texas, Texas Longhorns, and then also has some experience with Michigan swimming. So he knows a couple head coaches there and he knew Jeff Duckdale. And so what he did was he said, Jeff, like, what about the, this young guy? Do you still have a spot on the team? And yeah, as I said, long story short, Jeff said, hey, I actually still looking for a breaststroke Niamh, and he's uh, always been looking for someone who takes swimming not only as a profession, so meaning um, about an academic or athletic commitment, but he wanted to have young professionals who are aspiring to become how he calls it, become leaders for life, because the vision at Queen Swimming is to build leaders for life. And so the academic goals and the in combination with my athletic goals and what I want to become overall as a person, um, yeah, very much resonated with him. And so I got a spot. I uh, signed with Queen's then in May. And to be honest, while it was actually like 
initially, so to speak, plan B. It's been the best decision of my life, to be honest. Yeah, and now, luckily, I got to uh, spend the fifth year here with uh, Queen Swimming and my teammates, my family here. And um, I'm going to graduate in May. It's crazy how time flies when you enjoy it. So, so many questions I have based off that conversation. And I just want to highlight, no, I mean, I, I want to highlight a few pieces of this because I, this is the stuff that interests me. And the whole point of this podcast really is like stuff that interests me. And I just hope that some other people will also be interested in the same thing. But, you know, I am always, when I'm listening to somebody's story, I'm aware of how like the world as you perceive it through the sport of swimming unfolds slowly and like the the what you perceive as the world you know just changes mm -hmm. and so like i grew up in i grew up in massachusetts um in in the united states and you know i started swimming and my whole world was like local you know like new england swimming um stuff and then um, I went away to college, uh, still in New England, but that was sort of a, a different experience. And then I got out into the coaching world and it started exposing me to like what was going on in the rest of the United States. And um, then I sort of got exposed to stuff abroad. So the, the, these new pieces kept unfolding to me. And I can hear it in your story, too, that, you know, like, yeah, I, so I wanted to learn to swim so I could be independent on vacation. So like I did that. And I found I liked it a bit. And then, you know, you make these series of decisions to sort of expand your world. What I always find interesting, and I'm not going to make you do this for every level that you were at, but what I think um, one of the one of the strengths and one of the coolest parts about American collegiate swimming is, and, and even a place like Queens is, you get people from all over the world, right? So it, it's like, it's like the United Nations, uh, you know, re representation in a single swim team. And everybody brings a little bit of a different experience coming up. Um, I wonder if you could say one thing, you know, for somebody who, like me, who's never swum in Germany, I've never, um, I've never like coached in, in Germany. I never made it across the border when I was in Denmark for a swim meet or anything. I did go to Zurich once, so that's pretty close, I guess. But um, what is something that, you know, some, some reflection you have on your time coming up in Germany that you think probably a lot of people or as you've encountered people in the rest of the world, they, they don't seem to understand or have had the same experience that you had? Great question. And there are a lot of, a lot of various different uh, differences between the system itself. Here in the US, I feel like the most privileged position we can have, the most privileged experience is that swimming is a team sport. Well, mm. you always, of course, race in your own lane and you have your own times. It's like, in the end, it's up to you. When you stand on that block, it's your race and it's your decision right. that are going to impact your performance. But ultimately, you don't do it solely for yourself, but you do it for a team, for team score, for winning an NCAA championship with the people around you. And most importantly, you're never in those situations, no matter whether they're pressures or emotional or all these different layers of the sport of swimming that you can imagine. You're never in those yourself. You get to experience them. You get to share them with your teammates. 
And I think that is the one of the most wonderful elements of the sport, of the world of sports in general, but then also about the perspective that USA Swimming and the NCAA system and Queen's University on a college level provide you with is that you get to share those memories with people around you because ultimately I'm a very strong believer in you're only as good as the people you're surrounded by. And so once you actually are, get to practice, get to experience, get to learn from your teammates, from your coaches, from this entire, yeah, we call it Royal family here at Queens, for example, that's when you take your to the next level, not only in terms of your athletic performance in the pool and your times, but especially if you look at the transformation of when you've graduated from high school and then going to graduate from college, everybody should have at least seen some kind of personal development over that time. And I think that is the most fundamental because when you've had an interesting point earlier, when you mentioned about this journey and about the people that I met and about the transition from Europe, then here to North America. And I feel like swimming since I started, even when I just wanted to learn to swim for the vacations on the North Sea back at home in Germany, I think swimming has been like a path, like a guidance, a little bit functioning like a compass through my life. It is a company. It's been one of the most predominant things, but it's not about what ultimately results out of it. So whether I'm going to be making the Olympics or the world championship or the national team, or whether I'm becoming NCAA champion, it's not solely determined the success of that you have by what you accomplish in terms of titles or awards. But it's about that personal journey of embracing challenges, of getting provided with unique opportunities that a lot of us don't have, usually in real life, and realizing, recognizing this privileged situation, and then capitalizing on it by um, spending time making memories with your friends, learning from mentors, learning from other leaders, and also that's one of the fundamental parts of college and a college team environment. It's not only about that you get something out of it yourself, but asking yourself, what is, what can you give back? What is something that you can do in favor of the team? How do you want to make sure between August, 2018, when I started swimming at Queens and May, 2023, when I'm going to graduate, unfortunately, there's no such thing like a sixth year as of now of eligibility, but how do I want to make sure that from the point I entered to the point that I've been done collegiately swimming, I purposefully didn't say the point I left because I feel like once you've been part of the family, you will always be part of the family. But how have you made this place a better place? How have you left Queen's University, Queen's Swimming, and the greater community associated to that better than you found initially? And that's when you don't only make the most out of it and feel like you can develop memories, you can, you can gain experiences, become a better person. But that is when you start defining your role as a person in life, as a leader in life. And that's when you acquire those skills that help you then excel in your private life, in your, in your future family that you hopefully are able to build in the workplace, in your future professional career as a swimmer. And that's ultimately, I feel like the, what the magic is about coming back to the initial thought of swimming as a team sport. Then the NCAA system supporting that, providing structure, and then seeing what foundation Queen's University and Queen's Swimming, and especially head coach Jeff Duckdale and his team of coaches, 
yeah provide you with and what you can capitalize on ultimately yeah i mean i i i see a lot there okay so i have one last question before i move on um to talking about uh some of the things we did uh, a couple of weeks ago, because there was one more little piece of the story that I want to tease out a bit better because, you know, it, it pricks up my curiosity. So, you know, you were you were talking about um, thinking sort of that moment when um, you decided or your coach said to you, like, or somebody said to you, like, have you considered swimming in the um, in the U.S.? And you had that reflection earlier where you said, if I'm being honest with you, English as a subject was not something that I was particularly interested in. And I'm aware of that as we're doing a podcast where you have to speak to me in English the entire time. And um, you've obviously worked really hard to learn a second language and uh, master a lot of not just the, the vocabulary, but sort of like the, the natural flow and syntax of, of using it. Um, and I find language learning endlessly fascinating. In fact, we almost got trapped into a conversation about language before we started doing this. I had to get us back on track. I guess my question then is, how did you motivate yourself? If, if you were at once at a place where you're like, I don't like this, right? I don't really, and I think that probably what follows from that is like, I don't really want to learn this to a place where you've worked really hard to learn it. How did that shift happen for you? How did that work? What a great question. And what a great coincidence, because I actually just talked yesterday to a teammate of mine about exactly the same story, where motivation comes from. And ultimately, mm. I truly believe motivation comes from purpose. And I'm going to elaborate a little bit of where this line of thought is coming from. Because when you do find yourself in a position that you have that you know what you're going for and most importantly not only what but why that you figure out this why you're passionate about a certain topic why do you want to get yourself or the team to a certain destination why is this important why is this fundamental that all of a sudden helps you realize what difference you can make and that transitions and it very much applies also to your personality so usually something that you're passionate, that you're interested about, what also applies to your strength. So it helps you put yourself into the bigger picture. And when you then have that purpose and apply yourself to that purpose, then you all of a sudden figuring out, can figure out in this team environment, what role can I play? And automatically coming from that role, what impact can I play? And when you start seeing that impact, hey, when you sit back and recognize this is what I've been a part of. This is what I was able to help myself more valuable to somebody else. Or in ideal case, this is where I was able to lift our royal family to the next level. That's when you start getting this adrenaline kick and this feeling of excitement of, well, we've achieved this. What's the next? What's the next level? What can I achieve? What can we achieve more? on a personal level, on a teammate level, on a team level. And when you figured out that initial purpose, identified your role and start recognizing your impact while also appreciating the impact that others do have on you, allowing you to thrive. That's when it becomes like, I would call it maybe a positive 
version of the vicious cycle that you then, then find yourself in the position of great. Now I've seen like purpose. Now I see my impact that drives motivation and your motivation of, Hey, what is the next level? And then you try figuring out opportunities. Where else can I make an impact? What would, where do we want to go? Why do we want to go there? What is my purpose? What can be my role in that purpose? And how can I have, or how can I recognize then my impact? And then it starts becoming an interesting and very insightful story. Yeah, I it, very much what you're saying, I think mirrors my own experience with learning um, other languages. I love, uh, I love studying other languages because it allows me to understand more people from more places and just get more information that otherwise, you know, is locked behind a code, right? I can't get access to it. So it's like I, I have, um, I, I just want to know more about various things. And initially it started, I was a college coach and I was recruiting and I wanted to know everything about people that I could possibly about people that I was recruiting. So I would, you know, I would learn a little bit of Italian so I could get on an Italian website and, you know, do some research on, you know, recap from a swim meet or results from something. I could find the things that I, I wanted to, and it was like, I didn't have to try in those instances to actually get better at understanding various languages. It just sort of came. I think the, the process that you're describing, positive psychology, actually, this is, this is a perfect transition for what, what else we're going to talk about. Positive psychology has a term for that. We call it a virtuous circle, right? Mm -hmm. So when you say the opposite of a vicious cycle, it, it is, we, we gave it, uh, you know, virtuous circle. It's almost the same, right? But it's just different. It's, it's like, you know, you, you put something of yourself into it and the payback, um, uh, what you, what you draw from it is almost always more, right? And so it, it, it creates a cycle whereby you want to keep investing yourself, um, in, into something more than just you, uh, because, because it's such a great experience doing it. And a lot of people and a lot of us, I mean, I know I have many instances in my life where I have closed myself off from that process. Um, and that's always worth investigating as well, right? Or why you end up getting into those places, but that's a, that's a complete aside. All right. Now, before I ask you questions, I, I did say we were going to move on, but I do just want to pay you one compliment that, that I don't know, even somebody might be watching the video version of this. You might get a flavor of this, but I want to say that when I go out and I speak, um, one of my quirks is that I am extremely aware of people's body language while I'm giving a talk. Okay. I, it's been, it's been a secret weapon for me. Actually, when I do like one-to-one -one coaching and I do video coaching and stuff, I can, um, I can interpret a lot of nonverbal communication from people just the way that they like sort of the, the way their face looks, the way their eyes, eyes look everything looks. I want for every other time I have to present, I want Jan in the audience because his body language is, you're the, the best body language I've ever seen from somebody every time. Cause I'm, I'm talking and like, I want to connect with people in the audience. So I'm looking around and making eye contact with people. And every time I looked at you, you had this like broad smile on your face, 
you were open, you were like engaged in what was going on. And I just like, it, it, it filled my heart up. Like I looked at you and I just went, this is going really good right now. Like this is, I'm really killing it with this presentation. And so, um, thank you for that. Now, I'm going to ask you a super open-ended question and we're just going to go in whatever direction it takes us. Um, what, give me one thing that you've been thinking about ever since two weeks ago when I was there, something that we talked about in the course of that, um, that you've been continuing to ponder over and let's just start having a conversation about that. That's going to be an interesting one to figure out where we're going to start. First, thank you so much for the, Just, for, the for the compliment. I very much appreciate you not only recognizing, but also, um, yeah, complimenting and verbalizing it. It's, um, it's maybe a small side note. One of the most interesting things that I've learned in high school actually goes into the same direction of what you just mentioned, because what my teacher said in high school is when you want to succeed at a presentation, Take one of your friends in the audience and make sure they're on a regular basis, every 30 to 60 seconds, at least smiling or just slightly nodding, no matter what you say. And just by right. the way, we're going to look at them. We're going to feel more confident about ourselves because even if we talk the most, um, the most atrocious things that we could have said. And the presentation is like a complete waste of the audience's time. We are at least going to fake it to the extent that we're going to be very confident right. with what we're going to say. But so yeah. just, just on a side note, but looking back at our conversation about positive psychology, I think the most inspirational aspect is how much control we actually can have about our own thoughts. Or the, mm. let, let me clarify, not all over our thoughts, but the way we approach and the way we deal with our thoughts. Because as we highlighted, who, no one can control our emotions, ultimately. Emotions yeah. are there. And our thoughts that are based or like the result of our emotions, if we can't control our emotions, it's hard to control our thoughts. But then taking the approach and saying, well, we might not be our thoughts ourselves, so that we stop identifying with those and letting them play with us and our, and our mindset. What about taking the thoughts and imagining we are the consciousness where our thoughts come and go so that we all of a sudden from an embodiment of our thoughts go into the position of, Hey, let's observe what we're thinking. So when we talked, for example, about this situation, when I wake up at 525 every morning, no matter whether I'm tired, or no matter whether um, I don't feel like waking up, my bed is very comfortable and warm under the blanket. And then all of a sudden I need to open the door, whether it's maybe below 30 degrees Fahrenheit. And I would actually love to do anything else, but jumping in the pool right now. Well, mm -hmm. when we have those situations, how do we first deal with those? So how do we identify with those thoughts or do we actually identify um, with those thoughts? asking you that question. Then on the second layer, when we then transition the topic into the uh, aspect of motivation. So what motivates us to ultimately get up going and jump in the pool at 6am in the morning? And what motivates us to do that on a continuous basis? What motivates us to add consistency to the spectrum of being a professional athlete? 
And the way that I have never, to be honest, earlier approached the question was with those aspects and um, with your theory of negative motivation saying, if I don't, I won't, or if I won't, I don't. And all of a sudden I caught myself in very simple um, examples of, if I don't go to practice, I will let my teammates down. Or if I won't show up tomorrow morning, my coach might be disappointed. And by reflecting over this form of how do we actually talk to ourselves? How is our mindset structured in getting us going in our daily routines, embracing our daily challenges? And where's actually that motivation coming from? Helped you realize what room for improvement you have, not only muscle-wise, because everybody... What we then figured out all of a sudden as a team is everybody can practice six times a week from 6 a.m. in the morning till 8 a.m. And everybody can go four times lifting. Everybody can go five times lifting. But what the most or the easiest, not always the easiest, but one of the most essential parts of room for improvement for a professional athlete is their mindset. This is where a lot of people don't think about initially. And so I think that was the biggest enlightenment throughout our entire conversation of not only realizing, hey, what is actually that gets us going? And what are our thoughts? Are we our thoughts? Do we identify with those or do we observe those? And the second step, if we don't identify with those, well, how do we motivate ourselves? What keeps us like in our daily habits? What motivates us to make the one decision or the other one? And when you start raising self-awareness like we did, that's when you very powerfully can start getting back to the question of control what you can control. Because you, as we said earlier, you can't control what you're thinking, but you can control the approach to your thoughts. You cannot always control what's going on in your life or what yeah. your circumstances are, but you can control the way you respond to those circumstances and the way that you motivate yourself. And that's, I think... Uh, one not only one of the most enlightening, but one of the most influential parts for me heading into championship season. And most importantly for us as a team of how do we want to set our mindset and how do we want to set this culture around our mindset that has then been like tweaked and a little bit enhanced um, comparison to beforehand heading into our conference championship, our national championship coming up in March. And then ultimately, yeah, long course season which is going to provide us with numerous opportunities of then going to different national championships and further on to inter, uh, on the international stage. So, yeah. So I, uh, even as you're, you're listening to that, I, I mean, I, I had an example of this this morning, Jan. So um, people that know me um, know that I also take like my, even though I am, um, not purely an athlete anymore. Like I take my own, uh, physical fitness, my training, I take that pretty seriously. And this morning I, I just like you're saying, I got up before I, you know, normally would have to get out and train. And what actually happened to me is I set an alarm. Now I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a crazy person anymore. So, and I don't need to. So I, mine was not for 520, right? Uh, my alarm was set for 615. But I woke up at 5.15 and I was aware 
that my thought process, like what got me out of bed in that moment was like, you've got to go, you've got to wake up on time. You've got training this morning. Like you have to do it, you know, don't miss it. Don't mess it up. You know, I had, I, I was torturing myself to get myself to go. And just being aware of that allowed me to reset actually eventually a grudgingly, I didn't even check. I was so caught up in the moment that like I was waking up for the thing that I thought actually it was like, you know, almost time to wake up. Then I checked my, 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 uh, my watch and it was actually five twenty-five in the morning. I could sleep for another 50 minutes if I wanted to. And so I actually had to sit there and have the thought process and go, it's okay. You can go back to sleep. If you don't wake up, it's because you needed some more, you know, like you needed some more sleep and, um, nobody, including yourself is making you go to this thing. Like you're 40 years old. You want to go work out this morning. <laughs> you know, you, you want to get a sweat and get your heart rate up and do some training, but you don't have to like, I, there's, there's no, nothing bad is going to happen if I don't go. Like everything's going to be fine in my life. Everybody that loves me is still going to love me. Um, and yeah, I, I think with that story, what I have realized the older I get is that um, struggling with something, having a really hard time with something is the biggest gift you can possibly get. So that, that stuff on the end of motivation, I struggle with that personally a lot. And that makes it much easier for me to teach other people because I can have empathy for what's going on with other people in their mind. I don't go like the stuff that I'm naturally good at that I have no idea how I got good at, or I just sort of like, you know, uh, don't seem to put any effort in and I, I get better at it. That's the stuff where I find myself looking at other people and going like, no, just do, just do this. Like that's like, it's so easy. Just do it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. How, how could you be having a hard time with that? Right. Like just, just do it. And that's like the least helpful, right? That's that, that's that moment when you turn to somebody who's uh, you know, who's like feeling a little down and you just go, you just need to smile more. Or, you know, somebody who's like really stressed out, you go, just relax, man. You know, like that's that, that's where you come from that point with the least helpful advice when you've really had a hard time with something. When, when something's been um, extremely challenging for you to figure out, like what are all the little steps that I have to do? And you keep, you know, you keep having, to, you keep having experiencing failure and having to reset. It's like the greatest gift you can possibly get in terms of being able to teach it to another person. Like I, that, it should be basically, I think, essential. <laughs> Somebody in a teaching, teaching role, you know, you should stick to the stuff that, was really hard for you. Absolutely. I, if I, if I may, um, charm in there, there are two points that you very much like valuably mentioned. The first one is you had this self-awareness because at some point someone told you about it, meaning yeah. someone has helped you raise awareness about this topic of, Hey, how do we actually motivate ourselves? Because the least amount of people, in this world, wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and are like, Hey, am I actually identifying with my thoughts? Like out of the blue, 
because right. either, either you have heard it, you have read it somewhere, or in most um, convenient cases, someone has talked to you about it, or you have heard someone talking about it. That's why I believe, by the way, that your podcast, for example, is such an incredible opportunity and such a blessing for a lot of athletes and whoever else listens to that, because this is not only something that you can spend your free time on, but that can actually help other people realize, hey, I'm in a similar situation like Chris is or then Jan is. Well, they have tried out this and that. Maybe I can apply it to my own life. And then in best yeah. case, what about helping others figuring those out? Because that goes back to my second point, besides the point of mentorship and why it's important to be in a team where you can learn and um, communicate with each other. Communication. Communication is so, especially in our generation, I feel like taken for granted because we have social media. We feel like we're continuously communicating via email, via Instagram, via Snapchat, that the actual core of communication is suffocating. The actual communication skills. Yeah, the, the quality of the communication yeah. is that there's a lot of quantity, but the quality is not there. <laughs> Absolutely. And in terms of quality, when we think about communication, the majority of us associates listen, li, unfortunately not listening, but associates talking so that I communicate mm. my information, my perspective, my viewpoint, my ideas to you. And I take for granted that you listen, but the most incredibly valuable part of communication is listening. And there's a difference between listening and genuinely listening. And the part of genuinely listening is the magic happens when you listen to understand and not listening to, to respond. Because when you're listening to respond, you're already thinking in your own head, okay, well, Chris is having this and this idea. How am I going to respond to that? Because I might be in favor or I might disagree with him. So instead of processing your thoughts and intentionally listening and memorizing what your story might tell you for or tell me for my life, I'm already caught up in my own things again. And so right. taking those two thoughts of first having surrounding yourself, that's why I initially said the key to success is surrounding yourself with better people than yourself. According to what my grandma always said, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Yeah. And yeah. She has had grandma's know stuff, by the way, just, yes, just yes. that's an extra insight from this podcast. Grandma's know stuff. Yes. <laughs> Listen to your grandma. Experience now. She's had 84 years of experience. She must know. And so yeah. while you surround yourself with is is incredibly important, but then when you're surrounded by those people, listen to them, but genuinely listen, pay attention. And then all of a sudden the conversation will be completely different in terms of the levels mm. of effectiveness. That's at least my mm. thought process and my perspective, or a little bit philosophy in terms of communicating. <laughs> yeah, I love the way you're talking about motivation too. I think coaching in Denmark actually probably had more influence on me thinking about this than ever, because again, and I'll go back to language, um, and uh, you, you will probably relate to this um, because I, I would, 
well, I know the same is the case for German in that Dan Danish has, you know, like one third the number of words that English has, like total number of words, right? You know, like, and um, they do a lot of the same thing that German does is they make these compound words, you know, they take existing words and then smush them together, you know, to form new words instead of coming up like in English, many cases, we've come up with a distinct new word. You know, like, so, so like, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think of an example of this, but, you know, um, I guess to focus back in on the topic of language, a lot of um, Danish kids would, I think that I, that I coached or that I saw on other teams, they would say the way that they would describe, um, you know, sort of being frustrated with where their motivation was at is that they would say they had lost their motivation. And they were talking about it as if like it was, you know, it was, um, it was their wallet, you know, and they'd set it down somewhere and now they had no idea where it was, you know, and if only they could find it again, right, they would be motivated to do that and the other thing. And it, it struck me as such a, um, a passive framing right of motivation in comparison to what you have just said like the idea that your motivation is actually something you can train within yourself you it's a it's a cognitive process something you can develop you can be um thoughtful and aware of how it is you're motivating yourself to do things um how your um uh, what you know what direction directionality you talked about purpose earlier what what directionality you have with the actions that you're taking and how that influences how you're ending up motivating in all these situations so it's not a matter of something you know like you either have or you don't have everybody's got some level of motivation <laughs> um it's just a matter of you know what is your process actually for influencing what your level of motivation is to do various things this is totally correct. I could not more more agree with you because I feel like that ties the conversation back to the point where we were initially. So when we were talking about, well, how do you actually get to motivation? Well, you figure out purpose, but as you said, and then it like continues in that cycle. But as you said correctly, well, you need to have a right mindset in order to see through a lens of, Hey, I want to figure out purpose. So you need to have your mindset in the right place to do so. And I'm very glad that you mentioned framing because we say, and this goes back to Queen Swimming, where we, we say we have this theme of challenge or threat. Mm. This, but this is, in my perspective, just the, the starting point. When you start adapting, and I love how you have this emphasis on language because I feel like language is not only the key to communication, but also the key in interrelational um, matters, like when we talk interpersonally between the two of us, between teammates in, in college, and I feel like that should be way more emphasized. But bringing that back to the notion of how do we motivate ourselves and how do we find purpose and how do we get this framing correctly, it starts with the everyday language. And there are two things that I feel like swimming has taught me very fortunately, or I actually should better credit my mentors, people like Jeff Duckdale, who have helped me figure those out, or teammates, that we cannot imagine our brain. You can probably, I would love to hear your insights on that, 
but we cannot imagine the word don't or can't. Meaning when we say, I don't give up, what our brain can imagine is I and give up. So at least right. out of the don't, because we can't picture in our head. Don't. So what we say or we think is, I don't give up. But what we actually think is, or our brain like realizes is, I give up. So why don't we start there and reframe and say, I, I know I can do it. It's not about, and that's the second thing that we're talking about here. Uh, when we do our mojo on Saturdays, our team meeting, I think we did a good job or I know we did a good job. Everybody can think something hypothetically, but I know carries a different weight and carries different momentum. And when you mm -hmm. then look at positive and negative psychology, for example, you will very likely not hear me say negative. When, I, when you talk about, hey, I have good days, I have bad days, or I have had negative attitudes, I have positive attitudes, I always say there are great days and there are challenging days. Because the difference between negativity and challenge is that in challenge, it still circumscribes the same day, probably the same events happening, the same circumstances that are unfortunate. But when you picture this word challenge in your brain, when your brain pictures that, then you have a mindset of, okay, let's embrace that challenge. So a challenge is something that might be tough, that you might not always enjoy, of course, but challenges are things that you can overcome. When you have your head all around negativity, it's hard to overcome. And so, for example, my dad always talked about framing in the word. It depends. You don't can always choose the balls you're playing with, but you can choose the table on which you're playing. So are you playing on the table of opportunities or in challenges? Or are you playing on the table of negativity and can'ts and don'ts? And I think that is yeah. going back to your initial thought. This is where you have full control over, but it starts with self-awareness and starts with the people who help us raise the self-awareness. People like you who are very fortunate to share their insights yeah, with Queen Swimming two weeks ago. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my last final thought on that, and then I'm going to let you go because I know you got to go to class and you've been great with your time. Um, I, and I, 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 I just want to make one addition to what you said. It was, I think it was a great... Um, it was a great, for lack of a better term, framing when you said, you know, like challenging days. What I have noticed in a lot of high pressure situations or places where people are putting high expectations on themselves, they want to achieve something amazing. They want to push themselves really, really hard is you can get caught in a cycle of thinking purely like your, your tunnel vision on how hard everything you're doing is. And if you can make that shift, if you can actually be aware that you're doing that and move it over to thinking about how challenging it is, then you allow yourself to take credit for the fact that you are doing the challenging things, right? Instead of being like, oh, life's so hard, you go, I chose a really challenging life and I'm doing it, right? Think about how different that feels to say those different things. In the first one, you're like a passive victim of everything that's happening, you know, like you're just taking just taking it. And the second one, you're the hero of the story. You're the person, you know, who like in, in whatever your favorite, you know, superhero movie is found something in themselves to, you know, like unlock a new level of superpower and, and, you know, save the day. So, um, 
there's, there's so much power in being able to, um, influence things on that end. Jan, you're, you've been amazing. I think a lot of people are going to get a ton out of listening to this podcast. Um, thank you so much for coming. Uh, I think a lot of listeners, we're going to be cheering for you here as you, as you move through the rest of your season. I know I am. And, um, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, you guys are, are, are with more and more listeners every week. And I really appreciate everybody for uh, being willing to come on here and engage in some of this stuff and be interested in the same things that I'm interested in. If you want to uh, see more positive psychology-based content, you can follow me on social media, Christy underscore coach on Instagram. My website's Christy coach. All the podcasts are hosted there as well. Um, you can contact me through that. Facebook, uh, Chris DeSantis coaching. And uh, this, uh, podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify and um, also on YouTube. You can watch a video version of our two heads talking to each other and you can see a little bit of what I'm talking about with Jan uh, through his face while I'm recording this piece of the podcast. Um, thank you everybody and um, I'll, I'll see you again next week.